You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network Classics Collection episode. This episode was originally released under our parent podcast, Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Okay, so first we are going to do a taste test of Rivina. Which is the liquid that's yeah. in all of the bottles that Nick drinks from. Yeah, if Nick is drinking, quote, blood on the set. It's, it's Ribena. It's Ribena. And it is a black currant drink. And I have approximately two liters of it <laughs> that came in this. So I hope it's actually okay. And this is actually our first Patreon gift. This was a gift from Meg. Thank you, Meg. Thank you, Meg. So thank you, Meg, for making this taste test possible. Thank you, Meg, for making this possible. So we're really going to round out <laughs> our forever night experience by seeing what it was like. <laughs> ah, I should not have smelled <laughs> Don't it first. Don't smell it. <laughs> for seeing what it's like for Nick every time he has to do the bottle chug. Right. He And he has to chug this stuff. Right. And we are drinking out of children's juice glasses, but I really feel like we should have put this in green glass bottles to get the full effect. Yeah, we really should have. Oh, we'll do that next time. So in the meantime, are you ready, honey? All right. Shot? <laughs> <laughs> or just sip. I'm told it does not make a good cocktail mixer, so hopefully we like it straight. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. Ooh, that's got a flavor to it. It's not okay. the worst thing I've ever tasted. I'm, I'm getting... What is that? It's really, really sweet. And it's kind of berry... But it's like grapey berry. Yeah, it's almost like uh, it's almost like a blackberry wine. A bit, but with a grapeier finish. Yeah, with a like Concord grape finish. Yeah, a rounder, sweeter finish. Yeah. Oh my god! No wonder he said he almost vomited when he had to drink a bunch of this in a scene. Oh. Oh, and there's a little. I don't know. It's just it's not like cough medicine. No, but it's really, really sweet. It doesn't have that like tart berry flavor to right. it. It's really yeah, there's no tart just that's sweetness. Why. It tastes like simple syrup. It's the like somebody... Concord grape flavor. Yeah. With just pure sweetness. Right. It tastes, and no tart. It tastes like simple syrup that somebody wafted a berry nearby, is what it tastes like. <laughs> and it's it is very dark in color, so I can see why they would go with blood. So we'll take a picture of this. So you can see the uh, the full setup of what we drank. And we'll get on with the episode. You got to admit, that, you know, there's some really hot stuff in Emily's book. I mean, the whole blood-sucking thing, it's all so sexual. Of course. And, and they can hypnotize their victims. Did you know that? Imagine just looking at a woman and she's under your spell. Oh, that would be cheating. And you're saying you wouldn't? What are we going to find? Welcome back. Welcome back, friends. It's time for another episode. A Forever Night episode. A season two, episode three, Forever Night episode. And it is Stranger Than Fiction. And it's no exaggeration to say this is probably my favorite episode. It's top I've, 10. I've seen you watching it multiple times. It's top 10, for sure. In fact, in preparation for this, I have watched it no less than three times. <laughs> so, gotcha. So, clearly, it's one I have no problems rewatching. But of course, this was Matt's first time sitting and watching it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Because even if you've seen them, it's like I'm walking through the room and you're like, oh, God, she's watching Forever Night. Oh, this again. And then keeps walking. 
to go do dude stuff. Or if sitting and reading a book or yeah, scrolling my phone or something. Right. Yeah. So I really want to get into it. So we'll just... Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Got it in this time. We did. I know. Last time I was so excited. <laughs> See, you got to watch me because season two is just going to carry me away in um, joy and nostalgia and the metaphoricalness of it all. Which somebody thanked us for making episode for pointing out all the metaphorical stuff in episode two. And you're welcome. It's just another service we offer. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, when you're watching it critically, I guess to talk about it for public consumption. It makes you think differently about it when you're watching it. You have to be a more active participant because yes. you're thinking about, oh, Absolutely. okay, you know, what is this saying? What do I want to talk about? You know, what do I have to say about this episode? And I think that really helps me appreciate more deeply some of the things that go on in some of the episodes. Some of the episodes are never going to be deep no matter how hard you dig. That ground, that ground is not fertile. You got, you got nothing. It's got nothing to give. But some of them are. And this is one of the ones that, I don't know, I just love this episode, so it's hard for me to criticize it. But it's, I mean, it's not as deep, maybe, as the previous episode. This is probably <clears throat> the most meta episode oh. that we've watched. Oh, yeah. This is so meta. And you have to imagine, this came out before, like, the Stephanie Meyer hype. This came out before... Um, a lot of the like vampire novels that we think of as like hyped vampire novels. Now, it does not predate Anne Rice. So if we think of this woman as a archetype of, of Anne Rice, that's probably what they were going for. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. She would have been the it girl vampire writer at the time because she's in the thick of her vampire series right now when this came out. So we start our episode... In New Orleans in 1899. And it's a woman sitting at a desk. There's mist on the ground. She's wearing something gauzy. There's no real background. It's like a bed, the desk, and maybe a couple pieces of furniture, and then just blackness. And you're like, oh shit, this gonna be good. Because <laughs> then um, a nondescript man shows up, and his name is Christian. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and this is Sophie, of course. And so we have a little bit of intelligible dialogue where she's like, oh, Christian, you must free me from this or whatever. And then she holds up like a crystal unicorn and she's like, see how the light plays in the facets. It's only going to go up from here. This, this episode <laughs> is so good. And she's like, I must marry Gaston. And then we fade out and we find out that this is actually not a flashback. This <gasps> is a woman reading a book, her book, on some kind of television program. 
Uh, right, she's on a stage. Well, she's in kind of a later? yeah. It's no, she's on a stage later. This okay. one, she's kind of just sitting there with this woman, and she ends up talking about how yes, we have a book signing. We're in we're in town for the tour, but she doesn't say where the book signing is. She doesn't give any of the time, and we get the impression that she's very uncomfortable in this setting. Maybe she's comfortable writing, but this isn't where she wants to be. She doesn't want to be in the public eye. Right. And this is notable because it's one of the few episodes where there is not a murder. Only attempted murder. Yeah, just attempted murder. But nobody, the the opening crime is just this flashback. That's the only crime. <laughs> Maybe the mist, the, the line about the about the, the over, crystal unicorn. The melodramatic. Yes, the melodramatic. And I have to feel like this was them being like, oh, you want melodrama? You fucking want some melodrama? We're turning it up to 11. Yeah, 10, 10's no good. 11, that's where we're going. Well, they're already on 10. Yeah, you gotta go, you gotta go to 11. <laughs> and in this flashback, not flashback, I don't want you, fantasy. In this fantasy that we start with, we find out that Christiane is a vampire. And so she writes vampire books. And apparently she writes real, real good vampire books. Because all the vampires are like hot and bothered about these vampire books. Not in a good way. In vampires like, are worried. They're worried. They're like, what if people take these seriously? And again, I am reminded of like in Cherry Blossoms, when Nick had literally exposed himself to like 20 people in the previous three episodes. And then he was like, he saw me. I think he's going to... Surprise. Think... Somebody knows details about how vampires actually act and look. There's literally a checklist. If you keep writing about vampires long enough, you're eventually going to get it right. Assuming vampires are real and that the laundry list of like strengths and weaknesses that we have are accurate. Eventually, you are going to come up with an accurate combination. Right. There's enough Just authors speaking. writing all the different permutations of all the different facets of our cultural ideas of vampires eventually somebody's going to get something that hits actual vampires right and i think lacroix is just mad about it because she really nailed the like tortured vampire and i don't think he wants nick to feel like there's anyone who sees him he just right. wants he, him to feel alone lacroix does not want nicola to be validated at all no no he's like well clearly we have to kill this woman this this <laughs> shit cannot stand they're only reinforcing nicola's behavior no, <laughs> we need to stop no. this right now right and so she leaves this tv talk show thing that she's doing and she's headed down a hallway and this is our first glimpse of this like rabid fan we're gonna see him a couple of times he's kind of a red herring um he's the guy in glasses who's like please read this read this and he's trying to hand her something uh, and this is Emily Weiss, by the way. She is the author of our vampire novel, which is The Denied. <laughs> this episode. You know what I love most about this episode? How much everybody's into this book. Everyone is reading this book. And it is just... I'm not sure how else you could have done this episode. If they tried to make it like completely serious... There's no way it would have worked. It would have seemed ridiculous. Instead, they were like, oh, you want ridiculous? Well, let's have some fun. But they take her to this dressing room. And she's in there kind of unwinding, whatever. The lights turn off and somebody attacks her from behind. And when the lights come back on, whoever it was is gone. <gasps> and when she looks in the mirror, she has a bite on her neck. Oh, no. Bum, bum, bum. And that's the setup. First part wasn't the setup. This is the setup. And now we cut to the precinct. And it's Skanky and Nick and Cohen. And, and this is how the police get pulled in to the whole 
author situation. The whole sitch, yes. And so Cohen's like, well, I want you guys to keep an eye on her. And Skanky's like, um, we're a homicide. We're usually a after-the-fact kind of people. She writes vampire books. This is a PR stunt. You want us to babysit? Try attempted murder. Her publisher's rep made the request for protection. The brass agreed. Dead high-profile authors don't do much for the department's reputation. But, Captain, we're homicide. You know, post-facto kind of guys? She works nights, sleeps days. Perfect for you two. Go talk to her while I appropriate the funds for a safe house. She don't look dead to me, Captain. <laughs> and she's like, well, it's, you know, it's good for publicity. She keeps your hours. Just, just accept that this is a plot device and I need you to keep an eye on this lady, okay? Somebody tried to kill her. It's attempted. It's attempted murder. Are we not going to investigate it just because she didn't die? Are we going to punish this woman for surviving? We need to investigate it the same way. Oh, except we don't investigate it. Shh. We don't. Shh. Don't bring that up. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, well, if we protect her long <laughs> we, enough. <laughs> we have to suspend our disbelief. Yes. Yeah. I guess, because I, I think the reasoning is if we protect her long enough, this guy will just show up and we'll be able to just nab him. And prevent the murder. And prevent the murder. Um, so we don't need to investigate it. That feels like a waste of time. They're, they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. It's fine. And so Cohen sends them off like, go on, I'm going to appropriate the funds for a safe house. You guys go take care of her. She goes back in her office and pulls out the denied. <laughs> <Terry> <laughs> <did>. <laughs> And Nick walks in to see Emily Weiss, and he's like, yeah, okay, so I want Natalie to see the wound. Like, I want our, our medical examiner to look at it. And she's like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, I've got a couple of Band-Aids on it. It's, it's probably okay. The human mouth contains so much bacteria. She's probably already septic, but that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We don't have to go get this irrigated or anything. Um, so he takes her to see Nat pretty much because he knows that Natalie will be is able a to- a huge fan. Also. Oh, yes, but she'll also be able to figure out whether this is a vampire or not a vampire. If you just take her to the, if you just take her somewhere. Although I feel like Nick is probably the reigning expert at what it looks like. Right, when you he could probably people. just smell it and figure out. Yeah. Can't he just be like, hey, can I, can I just see if that looks like two little puncture holes in a totally random <laughs> direction? Why did you make that noise? Because <laughs> Nick would lick her neck oh, to God. taste the wound. No, why would he do that? Because then he'd be able to tell if there was any vampire yes, stuff there. Yes, that's totally normal police procedure. Uh, Please just for, sit still. For Nick Knight, <laughs> detective, absolutely. And you know Skanky would just be like, it's fine. Yes, this is this is policy. <laughs> this is what we do every single time. Yep, just, we just go along with it. Just, just relax and let Nick do his Nick job. Nick closes cases. We don't question his methods. <laughs> Although, does he actually close cases? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, he does every episode. It's fine. Some most of the time, people die in one a week. Improbably, yeah, one a week. <laughs> hey, I bet there's police officers that don't close a case a week. You can't. You know what? Stop slandering Nick Knight. I'm trying to make my. Way I close this. one ticket a week at work. Well, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> I did. Okay. I did four last week. Actually, I'm doing better than Nick. Wait, thank you. Are Are you good now? We're ready to go. Ready. <laughs> Let, let's Go proceed. Okay, thank you. Uh, so Nick is talking to Natalie, and he's like, it was really weird. Emily kept looking at me, and Natalie's like, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're kind of hot. Women don't do like second look this at you. This literally happens to you every week, Nick. Yeah. Uh, are you shocked that this woman like did a double take? 
or or what? He's kind of implying he thinks maybe she could sense what he is. Definitely teeth marks. If it was a vampire, it got scared off before it could do any real damage. What? Emily Weiss. She kept staring at me in the police station. You know, Nick, women sometimes do take a second look at you. Or maybe she knows. What about you? Ooh. Because she's like vampire sensitive the vampire whisperer or something i I don't know why okay so here's my main problem i mean i don't have a problem with this episode because i love this episode but here's my main i don't know um complaint ish about this episode is if you have someone who is incredibly accurate and writes vampire novels that are a little bit too close to the truth is biting her and draining her blood and leaving her body to be discovered the absolute best way to ensure that no one knows that vampires exist, it kind of feels like that's a bad idea. Like she shouldn't be prematurely murdered right, that would under be suspicious circumstances. It would be counterproductive to the idea of making sure that the community doesn't get found out. But I love Natalie's, you know, Nick, you are kind of handsome and people take a look at you. I look at you all the time. Wink, wink. Nudge, you have nudge. to imagine Natalie feels a little salty in this episode. Um, I bet she feels salty every week. Because we've settled into kind of a comfortable, we know she likes Nick and that Nick likes her like a friend, but that they aren't together in that way. And Natalie has sort of stopped pressing the issue, but that doesn't mean we have stopped feeling the feelings. Feeling the feelings. And so she's saying, like, well, if you like her, that's good. But you have to imagine in her heart, she's like, but what about me? Like, I'm right here, too. I know all about vampires already. I'm a perfect candidate for you to try out your new relationship skills on. And I'm willing anytime. But as soon as Nick leaves, Natalie picks up the book. <laughs> and she's actually reading out loud. <laughs> and Grace walks in behind her and she's like, oh. The denied. <laughs> Natalie's like, <laughs> you're reading it too? And Grace goes, oh, I can't help myself. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but Nick goes to the Raven because he's a little shook, I guess. And he just feels like he needs to chat with Jeanette because, I don't know. It's that time of the week. He's like, but I just got to go talk to Jeanette about something. I'll make up something as soon as I get there. It's fine. So he goes into the Raven. And I like to think of, actually Meg referred to this as, the death cloud hairstyle and i for now will ever <laughs> think of Jeanette's lofty hairstyles in this and most future season two episodes as the death cloud because she has the most volume and i want to know is this a 90s thing i don't remember big hair being big in the 90s maybe it was supposed to seem exotic and different I feel like I don't know but she's got her death cloud hairstyle and she's got this fabulous little black dress and this really pretty necklace on and I just wanted to point that out and she just looks so good in this episode and this scene and I now that we're in season two we just kind of have to appreciate every time she looks really good because it's going to be so hit and miss so just take a moment appreciate this this look and Jeanette is really like, um, I don't know why you're here and telling me about Emily Weiss when you could be there killing Emily Weiss and saving us all from the tyranny of her accurate vampire books. 
And Nick is like, I don't know why we're on this. I was just here to come say hello. And she's like, well, you need to go kill Emily Weiss. I'm just saying. Like, I would love to kill her. You know, you want me to? Why don't you give me the opportunity? I will be happy to do it. And Nick is like, oh, Jeanette, you're so silly. Instead of just hypnotizing her to stop writing these stories. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the option. Anybody is. That's plan no. like F. Yeah, that's uh-uh, it's not happening. We have like five different murder scenarios before we get to the non-murder scenarios. Yeah. And ostensibly, re- <laughs> I know, right? We have to figure out how to kill her before we're like, ah, oh, fuck it. I guess we'll just do the easy thing and just tell her to stop writing about vampires. Anyway, ostensibly, he is there at the Raven to find out if LaCroix is behind the attack. And Jeanette is like, well, be careful if he is, because he's not going to be very happy if you're one of those meddling kids. Like, if he's got plans, you should probably just let him do his shit, right? And here's where we kind of begin to introduce what I think is the theme of the episode, which is really, what is Nick's duty? Who does he owe his allegiance to? I think we have two kind of running themes in this episode. One of them is duty. Like, does he owe... Duty. Duty. Which community does he belong to? Does he belong to the police who are trying to protect her? Or is he a member of the vampire community who protecting them looks like stopping her from writing more books? And I also think it's a little bit... Nick is deeply attracted to this woman. He's deeply attracted to the level of understanding that she has about his internal struggle. And empathy. And empathy for the kind of stuff that he goes through. And right in front of him is this ready-made package of a woman who would more than willingly give herself to him. And I think his inner sort of vampireness, which we have kind of, we kind of hint at just his, uh, like the instinctual drive, which even Emily says in the next scene when Nick goes to the, Nick goes to the safe house and they're asking her like, why vampires? What's the deal with vampires? And she's like, well, I, I like their struggle. Um, I like that there's so much pain in their nature, but there's so much ecstasy too. And they're always fighting themselves. And it's just really appealing to me. And Nick is like, oh, does that, a, you, you like that? that? That does it for you? I got a lot of that. <laughs> we should have a conversation. I fight my nature all the time. We should probably hang out. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now. Exactly. <laughs> And I think his sort of, okay, so I read a book. I'll just segue for a minute. There's a really good vampire book by Chuck Wendig called The Double Dead. And Chuck Wendig in general is just a good horror writer. Um, He tends to have a very specific voice. So if you don't like his voice, it can be challenging. But he has a very good, like, sarcastic, witty um, writing style. And his main character in The Double Dead is a vampire. And we see a lot of the book from the vampire's point of view. And the way he illustrates kind of that instinctual drive is that there is always a voice in his head telling him to kill people. So he's trying to talk to someone and in his head, it's like, we'll rip their arms off and beat them with it. You should probably go ahead and just kill them. Like hyper intrusive thoughts. Yeah, just hyper intrusive thoughts that are always like, how can we kill them? We should probably kill them. Why are we not killing them? And I think that's kind of what we're trying to go for, for the Nick like, he probably has a lot of intrusive inner monologue. It's LaCroix. It's, it's LaCroix. LaCroix in his head. It's absolutely LaCroix. Yeah, LaCroix's in his head all Nicola. the time. Who's like, she's got Light the... Her. 
She's got the hots for you. You could take her home. You could have your way with her. Take her. It would be fine. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? Do it. Do it. Do it. Do now. it. Do Nicola. it. Do it. And so I think that's our second theme. The first theme being, who does he owe his allegiance to? And the second theme being, how far can he push himself before it's too far? How far? How much can he give into that before he can't walk that back? How how close can he walk the edge? Yeah. Of the path. And is it worth before it? Before he transgresses. Yeah. Yeah. Because he goes back and he's trying to talk to her. And she says, you know, people are interested in me. They're not interested in my books. I'm not interesting. I'm boring and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, I don't think you are. And I think it's just hidden. Real, real deep. Real deep. And she's like, well, actually, you know what? I, I don't, I don't want to make this a confessional. And he does his Nick stare. For like 30 more seconds. He just looks at her. And then he's like, okay, yeah, that's fair. That's cool. It's cool. Ugh. And he leaves. Um, and he actually leaves and goes home. And this is his opportunity to read the book. Because he picks up the denied. Does he already have a copy? Or does he stop at a bookstore to get it? I don't know. He gets home and he has one. Let's just put it that way. And he sees himself in his fantasy. This is the first time we see... Him, someone, someone reading acting in it, out and yes, the and they're scenes acting in their out head. Parts. Yeah, and he sees himself as Christian. And this is the form of our flashback for this episode, right? Because we don't is get a real each flashback. character acting out these scenes in their head where they are portraying one of the characters, right? And what I find interesting is who sees themselves as what, right? Yes, and it's this is where it gets really meta. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> you see each character portraying themselves as some analog of the like Natalie uh Natalie Nick um skanky dynamic that's mirrored in the story. Yes. Or, I guess put LaCroix in there too. Except LaCroix would never fucking read this book. You know he right. is. You know he goes home oh, and he's absolutely. Got, yeah, absolutely. He's like you must kill her. And he then he's probably like, oh. writes letters to the author, <laughs> giving her feedback. He's probably like, you're doing such a good job. Why don't you change this? It'll make it more accurate. And then he's like, Nick, they're too accurate. You should probably kill her. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably this is probably all LaCroix's doing it's in the first place. It's an elaborate setup. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. LaCroix probably always got like 20 plans in progress. Yeah. Just like 20 Hail Mary yeah. plans. Yeah. And most of them fizzle out. And then every once in a while, one hits, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Nicola, I know you so well." <laughs> exactly. He's playing the long game yeah. all the time, but he's playing every long game all the time. <laughs> but Nick sees himself as Christian, and he sees Emily Weiss as Sophie, Ooh. which I think is interesting because this is his opportunity too. If he is interested in Natalie, and the reason that he's not with her is because he is afraid of his own vampire nature, he can mentally fantasize. Yeah, this would be his opportunity to with fantasize Natalie. as of her as a love interest, and it's not. It's Emily Weiss, which is introduces some potential conflict because when Natalie visualizes these scenes, she is the female. Yeah, she's love Sophie. She's yeah. Sophie yep. and Nick is Christian. Yeah, he is. Uh, and they get, I love the dialogue in these fantasy scenes because it's so overwrought. But he's like, our grief sustains us now. 
we cannot be together. <laughs> There's a lot of head flipping and sadness, and it's so good. All the stage acting, acting experience yes, yeah. is well used. Yes, he's in his element. And then we see Lacroix because he's the LaSalle kind of character, Yeah, obviously. And, of course, he's still Lacroix. It's still the Lacroix-Nick <laughs> dynamic. It's just set in a fantasy scene, which means that he's trying to relax, and he's reading this book, and he's getting triggered by his about his abusive dad because his abusive dad's in the book. It's basically what happens. And he's like, accept it. No, she's yours. You need to, like, you need to get on this. Oh, okay. So <laughs> about the abusive dad angle. Yeah. I was listening to an Authors and Dragons episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve Weatherall made a comment uh, about this was like the drunk dad at his kid's Little League baseball game telling him to do better. And they said, oh, well, why does it have to be? Uh, a... He's like like every like parent yelling at their kids at a... Um, at like a youth game and he says well, why does why do they have to be like the drunk parents and he says no professional athlete gets to be a professional athlete without a drunk abusive parent <laughs> yeah. that's uh okay <laughs> <laughs> and they all thought that was very accurate yeah, yeah. that's pretty fair so yeah that, that is, hit pretty well yeah it's it's pretty accurate and LaSalle, LaSalle, LaSalle LaCroix character is, yeah, he's like, look, you need to do better. You need to go get her. Go get her, man. And and this is true also in real life because Emily really has the hots for him. And this is the perfect opportunity for him to embrace his vampire nature. And I think that's part of what LaCroix is trying to go for. Because he's like, you don't want to hurt people. Well, she wouldn't be hurt. She really, really wants this. She wants it. She's literally asking for it. Yeah, because she comes down. She's talking to Skanky a little bit. And then she's like, yeah, so um, when will Nick be here? And he's like, oh, soon, you know. It's the night shift. He'll be here soon. And meanwhile, a cop gets attacked at the safe house. Oh, no. And maybe if we had, I don't know, at any point investigated any of the people close to her who would have had the best opportunity to attack her, then maybe we would have not had this happen. But uh, again, we're not investigating shit. We're just lurking in proximity and hoping stuff happens, which it did. The guy gets gets attacked. Waiting to spring the trap. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> when... When Emily Weiss asks if Nick is coming in, Skanky's like, yeah, why do you ask? And she goes, oh, you know, I was a little curt with him last night. I was a little short with him. And Skanky goes, good. <laughs> <laughs> like, good for you. Somebody needed to snap at him. And uh, so Nick shows up after the cop gets attacked and the rain has stopped and we're outside and we're kind of chatting about what happened because everyone's outraged. Skanky's outraged that if this is a publicity stunt, they've gone too far because they've attacked a cop. Here, her like press agent hangers on the two staff that are always with her are like, well, it's not us. And you're clearly not doing a good job of protecting her because somebody got attacked here at the safe house. You need somewhere safer. Yeah. And 
<laughs> well, hang on, hang on. Was, you're, you're, don't make me miss the line where he's like, well, who would try to kill a writer? And she goes, ask Salman Rushdie. We do the best we can. Unfortunately, sometimes this happens. Oh, well, that's all right then. No problem. It happens. This is crazy. Who would want to kill a writer? Ask Salman Rushdie. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. <laughs> and of course, uh, Nick is like, Oh, oh my God. I just had this really novel idea. I think I know where we can put her. Well, she'd be perfectly I safe. I know the perfect place that is safer than any safe house. <laughs> my apartment. My apartment. <laughs> the last time I had a little child there, it went perfectly fine. She survived. So clearly it was a success. Even though we got attacked. Like a and I was blind because she <laughs> reflected the sunlight in my eyes. <laughs> It was fine. Everybody survived, so clearly, uh, except for the attackers. Yeah, but, I mean, even everyone who Nick, mattered survived. Even though Nick hasn't killed anyone in a hundred years with his teeth, <laughs> <laughs> but he's immediately like, "It's isolated. I'll be alone with her there." Uh, I mean, this it's is isolated for no... the two of us. Yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> And our, our budding romance. And of course, they're immediately like, yes, yeah, that acts, that makes perfectly sense. Perfect sense. And you have to wonder at this point, is Nick volunteering his apartment because he's trying to protect her? Or is he rationalizing his desire to get her a little bit closer? Por que no los dos? I think it's a little bit both. And of course, Lacroix is <laughs> la lurking. <laughs> Suck it, Nicola. He's la lurking. Like he's only like fifteen feet from them when they're right. talking. He's like across the street, just standing there. And so Nick is like, oh my god. He hears him volunteer to take her to his apartment. Like he couldn't have guessed that that was the next thing that was going to happen. And he Nick takes her there, and then he goes and gets Jeanette to guard her. He's like Jeanette. Which you know Jeanette resents he's like heavily you know only a vampire could keep another vampire from attacking her and i trust you to do the right thing but it's like asking the fox to guard the hen house i mean you know how i feel about her she must be killed please Jeanette. i know i'm asking a lot of you but i also know i can trust you michelle you've been spending too much time in the sun like Puts his hand on her arm. <laughs> Jeanette, I trust you. And Jeanette's like. To do the right thing. Jeanette's like, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> That's probably a bad idea. She actually tells him, you've been spending too much time in the sun. <laughs> but he takes her back to his apartment, which who has been with her at the apartment while he was gone to go get Jeanette. Because when he gets back, she's like making tea by herself. And there's nobody there, which means he left her alone. Maybe it's daytime. It's not daytime because he and Jeanette no, show up. Yeah. And she's been alone at this apartment while he went to go get Jeanette. But Jeanette is back in her cape, her like 40 pound leather cape with a leather trench coat underneath of it. And just the thought of feeling the leather cape moving over the leather coat underneath. Gives skin me the heaves. Skin. Uh, hang on, I actually got a little nauseous. Like the idea. <laughs> you visualized that too heavily. <laughs> I did. I, I went too deep there for a minute. And she's got to be broiling. No wonder her hair is fluffed up. It's like a, 
you know what do they use fins for like radiant heat loss so yeah. you can try to cool down because she's again in her death cloud because you want to maximize surface area clearly <clears throat> i mean anyone would think these two people are vampires because they're both wearing dark leather <laughs> like Walking layers and layers of leather showing up at night and poor poor emily weiss isn't like i'm sorry why are there not cops here <laughs> she's just like oh you're your weird goth girlfriend's gonna keep gonna keep an eye on me. Okay, Nick, I trust you. Even though Jeanette's like two inches from her face at all times, she's just like breathing. just like staring at her, breathing heavily in breathing her direction. <laughs> and Emily's just trying to make the best of it. Even though I, because her first question when Nick comes back is like, "Oh, how did you two meet? Like, how long have you guys been together?" So she's. At this apartment, so this guy that she likes is doing a really good job protecting her and being all manly and hunky and stuff. And then he was like, hey, I know the perfect place to keep you safe, my apartment. And she was like, <laughs> fuck yes! So she got, <laughs> she got taken to this guy's apartment. I haven't had this good of an opportunity in years. And then the first thing he does is and disappear. Over his wait, weird... Disappear and leave her alone. <laughs> and, and then come back with his hot goth girlfriend and be like hey hot goth girlfriend's gonna keep an eye on you while i go out and do my job for a little bit okay and she's like okay and then hot goth girlfriend breathes in your face for hours (laughs) wearing multiple layers of leather the entire time at one point (laughs) at one point She's out there having a conversation and Jeanette gets really worked up and she has to do the like stand and turn away while she vamps out thing, which is like a few minutes long. (laughs) So from Emily's perspective, she's sitting on the couch. This lady jumps up, turns her back to her, like writhes a little bit and then gets herself back under control and then looks up at the skylight and there's a really pale dude looking at her. (laughs) (laughs) So again... (laughs) The skylight that does not have a retractable cover. I love this episode so much. (laughs) So then we see Natalie reading again. And this is the time when we see her fantasy. And we see that she is Sophie in her fantasy. And Nick is Christian. Nick is Christian. And the only purpose of this is for us to be like, oh, Natalie, it ain't going to happen, girl. You got to find yourself a nice man. Do, do you know any other nice corners? Anything like that? Because this, this isn't going to happen. Because I saw his fantasy in the newsflash. You're not in it. You're not in it. And he does. this is the fantasy where uh, Christian reveals what he is to Sophie. And I love how analog this is to the way that Nick always reveals himself. Because he just <laughs> turns and is like... <laughs> and she's like... Ah! So even imaginary Christian slash Nick has no chill. Um, he didn't growl. Right. So and we've got that going for us. I wonder how much of Christian's behavior is like Nick and Natalie's projection of how Nick actually acts onto the Christian character. Or did Emily actually write 
Christian acting this way. Yeah. Super detailed. Well, since the book doesn't actually exist, we have no idea, unfortunately. Um, but we get a jump scare here because she's in this. And then Nick goes, slow night, like right in her ear. And she's like, ah! and she turns around um, and she, she's like, uh, maybe a little bit. And he's like, well, apparently, because you're reading the book again. We've all been there. You're deep in a really good book and you have to go to work. And you're like, maybe every five minutes when I have nothing to do, I'll just read for 30 seconds and then I'll close it up. Because that way I feel like I'm still making progress. I'm not giving it right. up. But then you end up reading for half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And Natalie's like, is she really that accurate? Like, is that really how you guys feel inside? Nick, was it ever really like this? Being a vampire? Well, we're not that big on melodrama. Too bad. Uh, mind you, she hits more than she misses. Or whatever. And Nick's like, well, we're not that big on melodrama. Which is... A lie! Lies! That is a lie. You are lying to yourself. Anyway, but to finish his line, well, she hits more than she misses. Yeah, she hits more than she misses. She also hit on the melodrama, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even her misses are actually hits. Yeah, and then this is the part where Jeanette is really struggling. Because <laughs> she just is like, <laughs> she's like breathing on her neck. And poor Emily's like, um, I'm kind of thirsty. Do you want a drink? And Jeanette goes, that's what I'm debating about. <laughs> <laughs> get on the topic of nick a little bit and emily's like yeah well he seems like a really good man oh because she says are you falling in love with nicola and emily's like well he seems like a good man and now <laughs> jeanette says he does seem like that doesn't he <laughs> all the wrong yeah in intonations and even natalie confronts nick about whether or not he's falling for emily so this this is our 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 buds or our everybody knows what's happening Right. And Nick is like, well, it's too dangerous. It's just too dangerous. I this can't. is the damsel of the week. I can't risk it. Yeah, it's our damsel, but we're actually using this damsel instead of like a just everyone around Nick is just attracted to his vampire magnetism at all time. It's you're using it more as a how hard will Nick let himself fall for anybody given the opportunity, even someone who has ever he has every reason to believe would completely understand his struggle right can he resist that temptation or not right she is the perfect uh testing ground like, yeah yeah and then we go back and this is the part i thought matt would really like because emily's talking about how their metaphors and she doesn't use this word, but Jeanette does. Jeanette says, oh, is that what vampires are? Jungian archetypes swimming around in pools? <laughs> so these vampires of yours, how would you research them? Research? Mm -hmm. For creatures that don't exist? Oh. Well, vampires are wonderful myth. Taboos drawn from the deepest pools of our unconscious. Ah. So that's what they are, right. Mythical Jungian archetypes just kind of swimming around in pools. Well, something like that. Yep. Yeah, because Emily implies that they're de like deep in our psyche. They're pooled in our psyche or whatever. And that's when Jeanette's like, oh, yeah, we're Jungian archetypes. Um, It's, you know, vampires as metaphor for sexual desire. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the oldest trick in the book. And really, that's what they are. That's what good vampire stories usually capitalize on. 
And that's what we're implying, because even Forever Night capitalizes on the inherent sexual nature of the vampire mythos. Yes. And Jeanette is just really trying not to kill Emily, because she keeps flashing back to when Nick was like, I trust you, Jeanette. (laughs) Don't disappoint me. That's the only thing holding her back. Yeah. And this is the part where she does the turn away and snarl, and then she looks up, and Lacroix in the fucking skylight that he really needs to do something with. (laughs) This skylight is a bigger plot device than the motorcycle. It's always there, and we use it as a means of entrance. Sometimes we communicate that way. Seriously, he needs to deal with the skylight. And this is when we cut back to, what is Nick doing? Well, he's left this woman alone with Jeanette. And he's he's working the scene with Skanky. And he's like, well, what are we going to find here? You know, what what's going to be here that forensics didn't catch? And Nick goes, well, whatever they didn't catch, that's what's going to be here. And so they're walking around and he like lifts up a grate and pulls this little plastic rhinestone thing out. And <clears throat> meanwhile, Skanky is pontificating a little bit about the book because he hasn't had anything to do so he's been reading and he's like oh man blood drinking is so sexual and nick's like well yeah obviously (laughs) and then he goes oh and you can just hypnotize women and nick says well that would be cheating but yes and i love how he's just honestly answering skanky's questions but skanky is totally not paying attention or doesn't want to hear it because he doesn't want to know but he bags the glass rhinestone and that's the end of that he Take, gives it to Skanky, go get this tested. I got to go make sure that um, my friend didn't eat Emily Weiss. I mean, I got to go back and make sure that my friend and Emily Weiser got something to eat for dinner. <laughs> and he goes back, and of course, Jeanette is fine, but Jeanette is frazzled because she's just spent quite a bit of time fighting herself. And we get kind of a nonsensical line. It's nonsensical in context because she tells him, you know, LaCroix was here and he wants you to kill her. And Nick is like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then Jeanette says, he made you, but can he trust you? And I'm pretty sure that's an unequivocal no. No, he cannot trust Nick. No, absolutely not. This is well established. He hasn't been able to trust Nick since, I don't know, what day is it? The Renaissance. Like, there's (laughs) (laughs) anything that LaCroix wants Nick to do, unless he's manipulating him hardcore into doing it, it's not going to do it. So I don't know why they're all like, it's got to be you, Nick. You got to do this because we all know Nick's not going to do it. I think this is a test to see what Nick is going to do. Right. <clears throat> I could totally see LaCroix engineering this situation just to see what Nick does. Yeah. Is he going to be able to get out of this or is he going to give in to the idea that he's not harming anyone by hurting her? She wants it. Like, right. She if asks I give for it Nick at one point. The perfect woman. Will he take her? Yeah. Will he do it? If I open this bag of chocolates and I put it on his table, is he going to eat any of them? And I write on them, please eat me. (laughs) And then I tell him to eat the chocolate. Will he eat the chocolate? That's the question. It's the the marshmallow experiment. What he should have done is not presented himself. Like, okay, here's the perfect woman that's saying, or, or here's the perfect chocolate that says... Nick, please eat me. Yeah. And then the other situation is the perfect chocolate that says, Nick, please eat me. And then LaCroix comes in from the side. Nick, eat the chocolate. <laughs> in which situation does Nick eat the chocolate? Right. Does he does he stop himself from doing it 
like only because Lacroix wants him to. Yeah. <laughs> like, is it a. Um, is it um, pathological demand avoidance? Yes. Yes. That's or the is it phrase I was looking for? Or is it uh, mora- moral and in, in nature? It's the marshmallow experiment. You know the marshmallow experiment, the classic one that they do yeah. with kids. Yeah. So you get a bunch of kids, you put them in a room, you put them in a, pl- a plate in front of them with a single marshmallow. You can eat this marshmallow now, or if you wait five minutes, I'll give you three marshmallows. How many kids can wait? and get the three marshmallows versus how many kids eat the marshmallow right away. Not very many kids can wait. Not many kids can wait. Uh, Nick can wait, but he's not waiting for three marshmallows. He's just waiting for the life lesson for LaCroix. (laughs) But I don't want a life lesson. (laughs) (laughs) I want to to kill somebody. All right, so... (laughs) That that was a bluey reference. Not the killing people, but the the rest of it was. (laughs) But finally, Nick has a moment alone with Emily. Which is why he sort of manufactured this. Oh, yeah, I have this perfect safe house. My house is a fortress <laughs> with the skylight and the floor to ceiling <laughs> windows and shit. <laughs> and he's talking to her about why vampires? You know, what, what, what's the appeal? And she says, you know, I see vampires as more human than we are. I suppose I admire them in a way. I see them as ultimately more human than we are. They live with such terrible secrets. Such overpowering drives. Their battle is far more palpable than ours. More human. Yes. And they have all these overpowering emotions and drives, and they battle them so much harder than we do that they end up... Well, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Um, That when they do do that, they end up more human. They end up fighting a bigger fight, you know, overcoming greater odds. And Nick's like... Thanks. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. And But he does turn it back around to the case. He's like, okay, well, tell me what you were thinking when you saw that ambulance earlier tonight. And this is when we find out that the reason she's so reserved and the reason she's so in her own head is because she blames herself for her neighbor boy killing himself because she didn't love him. And she told him she didn't love him gently. But he couldn't handle it, and so he committed suicide. He completed suicide. And we haven't had suicide in a while, so hey, welcome back, I guess. Um, Here's just a PSA. You, as a woman, are not responsible for the actions of all of the men around you. Um, That was on him, and she didn't need to spend her life punishing herself. But this is why she writes, and it's to avoid reality, to avoid connection, it's to avoid the pitfalls of passion and trust and love. And Nick is like, oh, I have the perfect way to help you. I know exactly what we need to do in that moment. And that is, I need to eat your face. I mean, make out. I just need to make out like a little bit. So they make out. And then he tries, he does this like look to the camera with this pained expression on his face, which since we've been harping so hard on how hard vampires have to work to overcome their innate desires was a good touch. It was like a, oh, shit, I'm getting a little too deep. This is a little too far, but I want to make out some more. And so then there's more kissing. And then we do it again. And then we make out a little bit. And then he, like, pulls back. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. I want this. Like, I'm I'm cool with this, okay? Even though this is way not professional, like, I, I'm in it. I'm in, okay? And Nick is like, no, I'm not turning you away. I'm not. I'm not. 
I'm turning myself away. It's not you. <laughs> it's me. And in this case, it is. You know, he's trying to protect her because he doesn't want this to get to the point where, you know, fangs get involved. Right. He gets his urges mixed up. Yeah. His, his hungers get conflated and he doesn't want that to happen. And so she's like, well, I do have a big day tomorrow, so I'm going to go up into your satin fuck sheets. And if you care to join me later, that's where I'll be. And he's like, okay. We can go use them for their intended purpose. Yeah. I mean, that. why else do you have satin sheets on your bed? Just, I'm saying. And then the next scene is at this bookstore. And apparently this was a real bookstore in Toronto, which has since closed. Oh. I know. But she's doing a book signing. And Skanky's at his leisure. He's like sitting in a chair reading her book with his feet up. Mm -hmm. And Nick's over like, comes over and he's like, should I get your slippers, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because Kiki's just chilling and reading and he tries to give Nat, uh, Emily some literary criticism. He's like, have you tried making it more real? <laughs> and she's like, uh, <laughs> they're vampires. And Nick's like, what do you mean real, Skanky? And you have to imagine Skanky's like, no, no, not that I know that you are a vampire or anything like that. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. But this is the part where we get to see Skanky's fantasy, like... Where does Skanky put himself in the book? And Skanky sees himself <laughs> as LaSalle. And this is uh, unequivocally my favorite scene in the entire show. Yes. This which is, is this is the most like meta funny. Yes. Like com like self commentary scene. Yes. In the entire show. And I'm just imagining Nigel Bennett off camera dying. laughing, dying. dying yes. at yeah. John Capelos's portrayal of him of LaCroix <laughs> yes. as yes. LaSalle. It is John Capelos pretending to be skanky, pretending to be LaSalle, who is Played by Nigel Bennett, pretending to be LaCroix, pretending to be LaSalle. <laughs> and it is so good. So first we get to see him and he has like, they've given him this widow's peak. This yeah. like vampire widow's <laughs> this peak. This stereotypical like Dracula widow's peak. Yes. With the cape up over his face. And he like glides <laughs> over to the bed. And then we see him like rear back and snarl. And he has these like elephant tusk fangs. <laughs> and so he bites the guy in the bed who's just a random dude. I imagine he's supposed to be Gaston. Because he gets up and Sophie runs in. And she's like, Sophie's like, what have you done? And he's like, I freed you. <laughs> <laughs> And then Nick pops up in the back. Like, he's been sitting down, and he just pops straight up, and he goes, LaSalle. <laughs> and John, and John Capelos goes, get out! <laughs> like, it does this dramatic, and then, like, whips his cape around, and it is... It's probably also a commentary uh, from John Capelos on Garrett Wendavy's acting style. It's so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just over dramatic. And then this is where Skanky gets quite a bit of dialogue impersonating LaCroix. What are you? Think of me as your guardian angel. I have just granted you your darkest wish. Get out! Go, hurry. Poor, poor Christian. I have had to take matters into my own hands. The husband is dead. And you are now free to take her, unopposed, without guilt and all that 
That is your greatest concern, isn't it? Get out of here, Lissa. <laughs> Very well. But I warn you. I will expect you to do your duty. Or I will destroy you. And her. <laughs> and he even does the do your duty. <laughs> so. And I thought it was interesting that or I thought it was um a nice touch in the Nicholas Christian analog that all of the vampire characters refer to Nicholas as Nicola mm-hmm. and then everybody's referring to Christian as Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like the over enunciated French pronunciation of yeah. the name. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so John Capelos finishes his impression and then he like puts the cape back over his head and he's like disappearing into the dark background and he's like, <laughs> he does this like really nerdy laugh. And then we cut back to Skanky and Skanky's just sitting in the chair and he's like, oh, like, what did I <laughs> Why did I do that to what myself? The fuck? <laughs> Oh my god, that was gold. That's the highlight of the it's episode. It's TV gold, right? It's so good. And then we go back to Nick. And Nick walks around this display and Lacroix is just standing there because Lacroix needs a hobby. He should be like, <laughs> Nick should be like, Lacroix, can I take you to the hobby section? Because clearly you need something else to fill your time because you've just been following me for days. And <laughs> Lacroix pulls a self-help book off the shelf and he's like, Humans never know exactly who they are, do they? No matter how much they claim to. But we do, don't we, Nicholas? And Nick's like, actually, I'm pretty conflicted, but thanks for asking. <laughs> and this is when the rabid fan that was our red herring at the beginning comes back. And he tries to attack tries to attack Emily, and Nick tackles him. And then we cut to the precinct, and they're marching him through the precinct like, yes, we hung around with Emily long enough. We finally caught the bad guy. And then Cohen comes around with a fax. And the fax is like, that's not the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. You got the wrong bad guy. And they're like, God damn it, we got the wrong bad guy. Never entertaining the idea that there might be two bad I don't know. It's just, it's a very, the whole point of this episode was the fantasies and Emily Weiss and Nick's relationship. And the rest is really treated with short shrift. They're like, we're homicide detectives. We literally haven't been investigating any of our real cases because we've just been hanging around with this woman. There's literally no reason why detectives would be hanging around with this woman. But we're just going to, it's fine, it's fine. We're just going to obfuscate all that. Who cares? We're here for the storyline. And considering out of it, we got that flashback fantasy with Skanky. I'm okay. I am 150% fucking okay with every plot hole in this entire episode, period, because we got that John Capello scene. Capelos. Capelos. But Emily is continuing her theme of being like wildly unaware of the world around her because she's like, oh, man, thanks, Nick, for catching that guy. It was really hot because the next time they go to do a reading, she's wearing makeup. And that's how you know she's sexually liberated now. Not only that, but she's mimicking Jeanette's hairstyle. She has a mini baby death cloud of her own. (laughs) She's yep. like, maybe he likes that. I don't know. I could go fluffy. If that's what he's into. That's what I he's could into. do that for him. And afterwards, everyone's like, oh, that was really hot. I'm going to need like a cold shower. And she leans over and whispers in Nick's ear. And she's like, you are my vampire. 
<laughs> and Nick's like, oh, God, I'm going to hang out by the canes for a little while. Actually, I'm going to hang out by the canes for approximately the next 10 minutes of plot time, okay? Because <laughs> he's down by, like, the umbrella holder, and he's just standing there. Because he looks over, and in the cane thing, there's a panther cane, which the panther cane is part of the storyline in the book. And he's like, huh, I don't know why that would be significant, so I'm not going to look into it at all. And this is when we find out that it's Andrew who is one of her two dudes. Her, the lady and the guy that hang out with her all the time. I'm not really sure we ever really explain their presence. They're like publishing agents and... Executive assistants. They're whatever. Um, but Andrew is like, well, you were writing about me, weren't you? Oh, because she calls Skanky a character. And he's like, oh, are you going to put him in a book? And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you write about the people you know, don't you? Like me. I'm a vampire and you put me in your book. I'm your Christian, aren't I? And she's like, uh, no. Get out of here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you could go. And this is when Natalie runs in. Because, of course, we can't call Nick's cell phone. He probably doesn't have it on him. So she just runs in. And, of course, Nick is still lurking by the canes, luckily, because she's like, I just realized there are two blood types on that bite. And there <gasps> can't have been two blood types. And Nick goes, because vampires don't have blood. What? 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 <laughs> New mythology. What? <laughs> Congratulations. That's another first and last, guys. <laughs> like, unless vampires we just don't have blood he unless says, they've recently fed. Unless they've recently fed, which means Nick has cow blood flowing in them veins. <laughs> <laughs> and Natalie's like, yeah, yep, that's why. That's why I know that it was a vampire, not a vampire, because if there was blood and it was a vampire's blood, it'd be full of their digestive enzymes. I have so many sure. questions. I have so sure, many questions. absolutely. Okay, sure, fine, whatever. Proceed. And Nick is like, oh, it's gone, because he looks over at the cane thing, because someone has snuck past him. God. Because he's so <laughs> observant. Because he's been standing there this whole time, gotten the panther cane, totally and dipped attention. with it. Yes, and of course Andrew has it because now he lifts up the cane and he's like, "You recognize this?" And so Nick runs up, and they're in the room, and he sends off Skanky to go look for her because he's like, "Actually, they went up the fire escape. They're on the roof." You go around back. You go around back. And so <laughs> Skanky's like, fine, I'll go around back. And so Nick goes up to the roof, and they're like on the edge of this roof. And he's trying to throw her over, but she's kind of fighting, whatever. And so Nick shows up, and the guy's like, oh, I'm a vampire, and I got Emily now, and you can't have her. And Nick's like, oh, ho, ho. hold my blood light. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Thank you. Because I'm a vampire. And he does the whole you know, fang thing. And he's like, I'm LaSalle. I'm your master. And I'm telling you to get him down. And Andrew's like, delusion over. Who the fuck are you? Like, what are you? And so he ends up jumping down and running behind Nick. Because he's like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, you're you're actually a vampire, aren't you? And then, fuck, I'm dead. And I'm just pretending to be a vampire. Right. And then the quad kills him. So that's the end yes. of Andrew because LaCroix like, ooh, a snack. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nick. And so he eats him and then he throws him off the side of the roof. <laughs> that doesn't get rid of the fang marks at all. It, it may obfuscate the fang marks. Yeah. Oh, what did he die from? The impact or the blood loss? 
Why is there not more blood on the pavement? You know they're going to be able to walk up and be like, there's not enough blood. Because apparently you can just look at a body and be like, sorry, but there's not enough blood here. Because uh, anyway, there's it's fine. It's fine. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. Because then Emily gets her, oh, shit. You're the real deal. I have been fantasizing about you my entire life. And now I've met you. And I'm really, really, really going to need you to make me into a vampire. It's fine. I want this. And LaCroix's like... Maybe she's slightly psychic. Maybe. 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 I mean, we've met psychics, so clearly that exists. And then LaCroix's like, Nick, listen to her. She's asking for it. She's literally asking for it. And I had a little... And not in a figurative, <laughs> metaphorical way that I used to justify my actions. No, no, no. The chocolate no, is asking you to eat it. She's actually asking you to do it. Yeah, the chocolate woke and up. And she understands what it is like to yeah. be inside the mind of a vampire. Clearly. And this is the perfect person for you to take. And Emily's on the other side, like, listen to him. That man is talking sense. He knows exactly what he's saying. I want this. I really, really want this. And I had a little bit of it, a dark night flashback from when he's like in the fire. And Elise is like, eat me. And LaCroix's like, eat her. And then we just do the like <laughs> heartbeat where he's like fighting himself. Because <laughs> he turns around and LaCroix goes, Nicholas. And it's. The most disappointed dad name I've ever heard somebody shout. He's like, God damn it, Nicholas. I told you to eat her. And he's like, nah, uh not going to eat her. I don't like it. I don't like it. And so he ends up hypnotizing her, which was the obvious way out of this entire situation <laughs> the entire time. And he's just like, vampires aren't real. Don't write about them anymore. Okay. And she comes back and she's like, oh, what just happened? And then she looks over and sees Andrew dead on the ground. Oh, no. And she's like, it's happening all over again. This is because of vampires who don't exist. I'm never going to write about them again. And LaCroix goes, clever boy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, ah, crap. He thought about option number three. (laughs) Because it was killer maker or vampire. option F. Uh, Yeah, option F. (laughs) And then we get the part at the very end where Natalie and Nick are talking. And she's like, you know, Nick, it was a good thing that you liked her. It was okay. That was a human emotion. And he's like, I kind of wanted to like her. And I also kind of wanted to eat her. So I don't know where I fall on that. And she's like, you know what? It's okay. You're different than you were when you met her. And that's important because you've grown. And you've kind of grown as a person, which means you've grown as a human. And Nick says, I just wish. And then he trails off. And he looks over at Natalie, and they have this really long, significant pause. And then she just goes, well, you have a good night. She gets up to leave. And we get possibly the most 90s shot of any 90s shot ever shot. And it's Nick's face is in half the screen, and it's like a zoom oh, in yeah. of his face. You're zoomed in on the yeah. like, close-up of Nicholas. Well, face. Natalie is walking off to the piano music from the end of The Incredible Hulk in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I should put that over in that part. Um, but she's walking off, and she goes to get in the elevator, and she turns one last time to look at him, and then gets in the elevator and leaves. And the whole time is just him. Half and we screen. don't ever explicitly state what he wishes. Oh. And that's the end of the episode. Roll credits. Roll credits. Yeah, that's a good episode. 
it's funny, but thought provoking a little bit too. And then we get that charged moment at the end between Nick and Natalie because Natalie has been telling him it's a good thing that you're able to love. And then he just is like, yeah, but what if, and that's it. We don't know. Did he wish he could have been with her? Did he wish he could have been with that something like that could happen with Natalie? And why did Natalie break the tension? Yeah. Why did Natalie not Maybe let him sit with that? Maybe she was getting scared. Unless she was like, I understand how painful this is for you. And maybe I'm a little bit working on letting you go. So I'm just going to leave this right here. Yeah. Before we say anything out loud that yeah. we don't want quite want to say out loud yet, I'm going to leave so we can just put a pin in that. Yeah. And maybe reapproach that subject when you're in a better mental state. Yeah. When you're not brooding. So maybe never. I don't know. But this was a funny episode. Was it the most well put together, well written? Had it was no, it leaked water like a sieve. There were so many plot holes, but we don't care. Nobody cares. John Capellos impersonated Nigel Bennett, and the world is a beautiful place. Okay, that is all I care about in this episode. I want to go to this bookstore, I want to read this book, I want to meet that author. Perfect. I want somebody to write that book. Because every time she talks about vampires and about their internal struggle and how fighting what they are makes them relatable, makes them more human than human, I'm like, oh, how did this 1990s show get exactly what my horny little vampire heart wants? And yet never again is anyone going to write vampires like that. That's what I want to know. I want the tortured as fuck vampire who just wants to be a good person but isn't even a person and isn't sure how to be good but just wants it so bad they're willing to fight for it and we never get it again i mean we get some attempts at it and there's a couple of things that are okay but that's why i love forever night is because they're talking about themselves they're talking about the main character the idea that nick trying to be a better person makes him a better person than people who aren't trying to be a better person at all, even though he's not a person. It makes him more human than human. He's a person, but he's not human. Right. You know what I mean? Like his strive to be better. He's working harder to be a better person, to be a better... Striving to be a better person is the most human thing. Yeah. And he works harder at it than anybody else because he's not only just trying to be good. He's also actively trying not to cause harm at all times. Which is more than a lot of people. Right, which is more than a lot of people. And I just feel like they hit a lot of the notes of what I love about vampires in this episode. And maybe that's why I love it so much. I mean, there's a lot of reasons I love it, but that's definitely one of the big ones is I could have a whole treatise on this. So I'm really trying to figure out where to like truncate my whole like thing about it. Cause we get a horror vampires where they're just monsters and we don't learn anything from that. They're just scary monsters. And we get romance vampires where it's an older dude who a really, really old dude who falls in love with this nubile young woman or whatever. And that gets a little bit meh, especially if we have a really good easy workaround Like, oh, I can drink bag blood or cow blood or whatever. Um, 
And then it gets like, bah, you know, whatever. Are you even really? Listen, if a vampire can subsist wholly on cow's blood and it's no, there's no drawback to it. Literally, we should all get we should all turn into vampires because we would have less of an impact on the environment if we all just drank a pint of cow's blood every single day. Right. <clears throat> uh, because we would be eating less. We'd be producing less food. They're actually less of a drain on resources than humans are. So that doesn't work. But the like forever night vampire, the like I'm inwardly tortured, but capable of existing in society, but that society isn't made for me and it's a struggle for me to exist in it is exactly what I want. And I would like someone to take that advice, write some beautiful novels that I can read. I will read them. I will review them. I will share them with the world and I will love you for it. I think I'm just going to leave it there. Do you have anything you want to add? Remember, sometimes the strangest <laughs> things are the most beautiful, too. <laughs> so be who you are and love what you love. But I didn't get to talk about Instagram or anything, too. We have an, we have an Instagram. You know that. I'm going to fix the website. It's a goal. Sometime, eventually. It's a goal. We have 11 YouTube subscribers now, too. Woohoo! And we just got a new Patreon. Patron. 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 We just got a new patron on Patreon. I don't want to brag or nothing. We're up to five. Oh, yeah. Thank and you. And we're at like 170 something on Instagram. Yeah. And technically, he didn't join the tier that gets him a shout out, but we'll shout him out anyway. So thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> All right. Now do it. Now do it. I already did it. Do it again. I already did it. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. So? So you're more than you were before you met her. And what you felt for her has brought you closer to what you want to be. Yeah. Ain't love a bitch. I just wish... Night, Nick. See you tomorrow. Listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network podcast, a network of shows focusing on unscripted discussions that promote positive but honest engagement with all the weird and wonderful topics that make our hearts happy. I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude to all our listeners. Your continuous support and engagement mean the world to us. So if you're enjoying the show, make sure to spread the love, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Network 
to stay updated on the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes peaks, and exclusive content from all our shows. You can also find additional ways to support this show on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strangeandbeautifulnetwork. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to bonus episodes, early releases, our Discord channel, and other exciting perks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.